0: Today on the Wisdom Journey, we arrive at Luke 2. God's work encompasses all of creation and all of history. That means He's working in the lives of obscure individuals as well as the lives of the rich, famous, and powerful. As proof of this, you need to look no further than the people who were involved in the events surrounding Jesus' birth. Stephen Davey has a lesson for you today called The Perfect Timing of God.
1: Several years before the birth of Christ, Haley's Comet blazed across the night sky there in Judea, Uh, Caesar Augustus announced that it was the spirit of his father, Julius Caesar, ascending into heaven as one of the gods. Augustus uh, was so convinced, he minted coins declaring his own deity, and he inscribed on the coins the words, Caesar, son of a god. Now, as Luke begins his record of the birth of Jesus— it's as if he's saying, listen, if you think what matters most is whatever Caesar Augustus is you know, doing over there in Rome, the guy that thinks he's the son of a god, you've actually missed what matters by about 1,500 miles. What is of infinitely greater importance is what's taking place in a little village called Nazareth. Luke writes about it here in chapter 2 and verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world— should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. You know, you read that and it sounds like these guys are the guys in charge. Well, Luke's going to take us behind the scenes. Mary and Joseph are expecting a baby, Israel's promised Messiah. They're living in Nazareth, but the prophet Micah had predicted 700 years earlier that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Near Jerusalem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Now, how do you get this young couple to travel 90 miles to Bethlehem when Mary is due to deliver her baby? Well, God, who is really in charge, moves the heart of Caesar to make him hungry for what politicians are hungry for a little more tax revenue. So Caesar wakes up one morning. he has a bright idea. Let's issue a decree for a census. Let's register people for an empire-wide tax. This is going to require heads of households to return to their families' ancestral homes to register. Joseph's ancestral home is Bethlehem. Now, for Joseph and Mary, this could not have happened at a worse time. Maybe you've come to a point in your life where you're feeling like life is, you know, confusing. Uh, It doesn't make any sense. Maybe you're wondering what in the world God is doing, moving you from here to there. You might not have all the answers, but you can rest assured that God has not gone to sleep. In fact, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 121 in verse 4 that our God never slumbers or sleeps. What he means is God is always aware. God is always in control. Now, if God doesn't sleep at night, you know what that means? That means you can sleep at night in peace. You know, it's easy to get distraught or distracted by the decrees and decisions of kings and governors and senators and presidents and parliaments, but God is at work. God is ultimately accomplishing his purposes behind the scenes. We usually don't catch on until sometime later. Well, this trip. Although it is the will of God for Joseph and Mary, it's going to make their lives uncomfortable, difficult, and, frankly, even dangerous. But let's not forget that Joseph and Mary are not pawns in the hands of Caesar, who thinks he's God. No, Caesar is a pawn in the hand of the true God. Now, we know from history that wives were not required to accompany their husbands on trips like these We're not told why Mary went along, but she no doubt welcomed the opportunity to get out of Nazareth to escape uh, the scandal of her pregnancy. Probably nobody believed her story. I mean, who would of a miraculous conception by the overshadowing presence of the Holy Spirit? Even we don't understand that. So she goes along. Now, when they arrive in Bethlehem, we're not told if Mary delivered Jesus in a hollowed-out cave or an animal enclosure connected to somebody's house. There's evidence for both. There's actually no mention of an innkeeper who turns them away. We're just told here in verse 7 that there was no room for them in the inn. We're also told in verse 7 that Mary wrapped Jesus in swaddling cloths by herself. Now, that was usually the role of a midwife. That implies there's no midwife, there's no other woman here to help This baby is delivered into the calloused hands of Joseph. Now, Luke uh, here isn't telling us everything, but he's giving us enough details to show us the the absolute humility of Christ's incarnation, the amazing fulfillment of prophecy in Bethlehem, the timing of God, which was perfect. Luke writes here in verse 8, And in the same region there were some shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. By the way, this phrase, I will bring good news to you, is from the Greek verb, euangelizomai, that gives us our word evangelism. In the first century, this verb was used of a messenger delivering an official proclamation from the king. It was even used for announcing the birth of a royal heir. So verse 11 here shouts that kind of proclamation. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord, his royalty. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this angel is joined at this moment by a multitude of angels. They're chanting this chorus of praise. Frankly, I imagine the ground underneath the shepherd's feet was shaking with the sound of, of this incredibly glorious heavenly choir. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It strikes me that Jewish couples would typically hire local musicians to help them celebrate the birth of a child. Well, here Joseph and Mary are alone. They're away from family. Frankly, they're too poor to afford musicians. I love the fact that God the Father sends the choir He sends the musicians directly from heaven to provide the music. Now, when the concert's finished and the angels disappear, the shepherds take off for Bethlehem. Verse 16 tells us, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. God's ways are fascinating, aren't they? You know, according to the Mishnah, a collection of Jewish laws and customs, shepherds were considered perpetually unclean. Well, that's because they couldn't keep all the ceremonial laws uh, because of their profession. Shepherds weren't allowed to enter the temple. Shepherds weren't allowed to give uh, testimony in court. Yet God chooses them to become the first to testify, the first evangelists. Some people probably thought the shepherds had spent a little too much time outdoors here when they delivered this news. So some people, no doubt, asked questions. We're told here in verse nineteen, though, that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And I got to tell you, these shepherds' lives are changed forever. <laughs> they'll never, they'll never forget this. Now they don't change their profession. But God certainly changed their hearts. In fact, verse 20 tells us that they continued glorifying and praising God. I don't doubt they're, they're singing the lyrics they just learned from the angels of heaven about the Savior who came. By the way, we ought to follow the example of these shepherds. Let's keep singing about the glory and gospel of God. Let's tell others the good news. Let's not keep it to to ourselves. You say, "Well, but I'm not trained in evangelism." Listen, beloved, as someone has said, you don't need to be trained. You don't need to be a trained chef to tell somebody you found a good restaurant. You don't need to you don't need to go to medical school to tell somebody you found a good doctor. You don't need seminary training to tell someone you found the Savior. Just just testify to that. Now, several years after this scene recorded here in Luke chapter 2, 76-year-old Caesar Augustus developed pneumonia and died. This man who called himself the Savior of the world, the Son of a God, died. Jesus would have been around 18 years of age at that time, and I can't help but wonder when he heard the news if he... Quietly reflected on the truth that kings and kingdoms, well they, they come and go. They they seem to be the ones in power, but God alone rules the universe. I wonder if Jesus reflected on the truth that He alone is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He is the Savior. So let me close by asking you a question today. Is He your savior, and king. Well, until next time, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
0: Today's lesson was called The Perfect Timing of God. Stephen Davy will continue teaching through the Bible on this wisdom journey, so be sure and join us again next time. In the meantime, are there specific ways that we can pray for you? We have a team of staff and volunteers who monitor all of the prayer requests that come into our ministry. We pray individually for each one. If there's a way that we can pray for you, please tell us visit wisdomonline.org forward slash prayer. I hope we hear from you today and then join us next time as we continue the wisdom journey.